to John chapter 16. We're continuing in our series on the book of John. We've been going through the book of John chapter by chapter, so uh, we are now in John chapter 16. It is just moments, really, before Jesus will go and be betrayed, is where we find this passage. Jesus has been teaching his disciples for the last three chapters in John all at the Last Supper, and that's the context that is set for this. Jesus has revealed who he is already to them, and he's explaining to them where he's going to go, that he's going to go away, and and that he is going to leave them, and that he's going to send the Helper. And that's the context that we find this in his final instruction to his disciples. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 16, reading verses 5 through 16. This is God's holy, inspired word that he intends for us today. But now, I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, that you but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you'll see me. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Would you speak to us through your words? Would you dispel the troubles in our head? Would you calm our troubled hearts? Would you give us confidence knowing that you have given us your Holy Spirit? Would we rest in you? Would you give us the confidence of knowing that your Holy Spirit brings conviction, that your Holy Spirit brings conviction to us, to the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and brings conviction to the world And would you give us hope that we have the truth of you here and now to lead us, to guide us, to dispel all those troubled thoughts that we have. Would you empower us by your spirit to hear your words and would you enable me by your spirit to preach your words in Jesus' name, amen. You ever get stuck? You ever get stuck worrying about something? You ever get stuck on something? I know that sometimes in the middle of the night, I, I wake up with the most irrational thoughts. I don't know if it ever happens to you or not. You, you wake up in the middle of the night, no reason at all, and you're laying there, you can't go back to sleep, and then these irrational thoughts just kind of go through your head. And, and then sometimes I can get fixated on it and, and just cycle through again and again and again and again and again, these irrational thoughts. I can cycle through and my mind can be troubled and, and, it, and I'm stuck. It's kind of like we had a dishwasher that broke a few months ago and... We didn't know it. It was stuck on the, the cycle of filling and, 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 and rinsing, and filling and getting rid of it, filling and pumping out the water. And so we had left. We thought it was done. And we came home like a week later, and the dishwasher was running. 
It was stuck. Um, sometimes we can feel that way, right? We can feel stuck. We can, we can get troubled. We can get stuck on troubles. We can get stuck on what's troubling us. Maybe, it's, maybe what's troubling you is out there. Or maybe what's troubling you is up here. Or maybe what's troubling you is in your heart. And you realize that you have sins and areas that you feel like you can't overcome. And those things are troubling you and you can get stuck. As, as the old friend's song used to say, you can get stuck in second gear. You can get stuck on this cycle of filling and draining. You ever been troubled? Maybe troubled by the thought of a loved one leaving you and how it will affect you. Disciples here in our passage, they are stuck. And for good reason, right? They're, they're stuck because they have been hearing for Jesus for the three chapters in John that we've been looking at so far. They've been hearing from Jesus about him going away, and, 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 and they're concerned. But their main concern is not primarily what's going to happen to Jesus, although that should have been, right? Their main concern was what's going to happen to us. They were troubled, and they were stuck on this thing. They had asked them earlier, even though in our passage Jesus says, none of you ask me where I'm going, what he's referring to is the fact that they didn't really mean it because they had asked earlier, Peter says, where are you going? And then he gets sidetracked. And then Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. And then they get sidetracked because what they're really stuck on, they're troubled by, is really their own experience. If they're going to be left alone, what will they do? How will they cope? How will they make it? How will they carry out the mission God's called them to? They're stuck. They're troubled. Here's the crazy thing, that, that Jesus, in his time of trouble, in his darkest hour, he spends three chapters allaying their fears, speaking peace to them, comfort to them, telling them how they can abide in him even though he's going away, telling them how they can have peace and comfort and, and telling them that they'll have the Holy Spirit and, and that he's going to enable them. And now in this passage here, he's... He's giving them even more hope. He's giving them even more hope. He's letting them know they have reason to not be troubled. But all they can do is they're stuck on something. They're stuck on the fact that Jesus is going away. And that's understandable because Jesus, he has the words of life. Jesus, he's the bread of life. He is... He's living water. They've seen Jesus do all of these countless miracles all throughout the book of John. They've, they've seen the revelation that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He is the light of men. He is the one who enlightens darkened minds. He is the one who does things that nobody else can do. Jesus has healed the sick. He's made the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He has proclaimed good news. He set the captives free. He has changed everything. The world is completely different for them now. He's their Messiah. He's their long-awaited one. He's the prophesied one. He is the one in whom all their hopes are pinned, and that's who they're living for. And so he says, I'm going to be going away. Of course they're troubled, but they're stuck. They must have felt helpless. This horrible news that the one in whom all of their hopes for salvation was pinned was going away. What were they to do? How could they do it? And then he gives them a mission, but how could they carry that out? They were troubled. And yet, when Jesus is facing his deepest troubles, he is concerned for them. And he speaks words of comfort, words of hope, words of encouragement. They, they must be wondering how we're going to do what we've been called to do. And Jesus speaks these words to troubled hearts. And he speaks these words for us as well. He speaks words of hope, of encouragement, of comfort. He wants to encourage them that, yes, 
you will be able to carry out the mission that I've called you to because you are not truly alone. He says he's sending them the helper. And that's a word that's repeated all throughout this discourse of Jesus. He continually repeats the helper, the helper, the helper. And I don't know about you, but if I'm having somebody assist me, boy, I can't imagine somebody helping me who knows all the answers, who already is able. And Jesus says, I'm giving you the helper. You can have great resources of the Holy Spirit to supply all your needs abundantly. And the thing that Jesus is trying to show them here, that, that really the main idea that, that we need to get from this passage is that because Jesus has gone away, because he's gone away, you know, not, not you know, at times we can think, well, we're all alone here. Well, no, because Jesus has gone away, the helper has come and he convicts the world and clarifies the truth. Those are the two primary functions that we see in this passage, that what the helper does. He, he convicts the world and he clarifies the truth. He convicts the world concerning some things and then he clarifies the truth about who Jesus is. To these confused, distraught disciples, Jesus tells them a truth that's good news, not just for them, but good news for us. Everybody who feels helpless, like they can't do what God's calling them to do. You might feel abandoned and confused to the trouble. Jesus says the truth. He said, is it better for you? It's to your advantage. Now, when I think about the idea of Jesus walking this earth and getting to hear him and see him and, and, and be around his teaching, at times I have thought, wow, wouldn't that have been so much better? It would have been easier. It would have been better if, if we had gotten to do that. You ever, you ever have that thought? You ever have that feeling that it would be better if we could actually see Jesus? If we could just see him, if we could just hear his teaching, if we could see the miracles he did. And yet this, this truth is not easy to grasp. That Jesus says it's actually better. It's to your advantage that I go away. And then he tells us why. It's to your advantage because the Holy Spirit brings conviction and then he clarifies the truth. And the first thing we see is that the Holy Spirit, he brings conviction even though they couldn't see this helper, even though they couldn't see the Spirit, he said, this is the truth. Jesus, the one who doesn't lie, says the truth is, it's better. You, are, you have an advantage over the apostles. It's kind of crazy to think about. Everyone here who, who has read God's word, who's responded to him, who has repented and believed on Jesus Christ, it is actually, you have an advantage over those who've gone before. You have an advantage over those who, who went before for countless thousands of years. It's to your advantage. The Holy Spirit now has come so that everyone who's born again can become his temple, his dwelling place. And Jesus says, I, I need to go away because if I don't go away, and, and he's not just speaking about going to the Father, but if I don't go to the cross, if I don't go away to the cross, if I don't bear the sins of the world, if I don't go away to the Father and are exalted, if I'm not resurrected and, and risen at the right hand of the throne of God and reigning and ruling, then it's not possible for the Holy Spirit to come because it won't be possible for atonement to happen. It won't be possible for you to be made clean. He says, so it's better that I go away so that now the Holy Spirit can come and indwell every believer in Jesus Christ. So the very personal presence of God can be with you and I every day. Inspiring, empowering, and helping us. And it says one of the primary things that, that the Holy Spirit does, that the Helper does, is to bring conviction. And you think, why in the world is that good news? You see, that the Holy Spirit brings conviction about the need for Christ. That's 
That's the first thing that we see that Jesus says. Why is it good news? Why is it better for us? Why is it to our advantage the Holy Spirit goes away? Because he brings conviction about the need for Christ. That's really good news because if you and I didn't know we were blind and lost, you would never come to Christ. And the Holy Spirit lovingly is sent by God to bring the gift of conviction. Now, sometimes I don't think about conviction as a gift. (laughs) I don't like conviction. I don't like to feel bad about my sin. I don't like to know that I'm guilty before God. But that is a gift from God that enables us to respond to God and repent. What a great help. Imagine instead if God says, you know what, I'm going to send Jesus down, and then Jesus is going to go up, and then you're on your own to figure it out. What a horrible destiny that would be. You see, we're dead in sin. We're unable to even understand our need for Jesus Christ. And so the helper comes and he convicts. And and if you and I don't understand our sin, our failure before God to meet his righteous requirements, our, our need for the righteousness of Christ, then we would never respond to him. If you are here and you have experienced conviction for sin, that's a gift from God. That means that God loves you. It means that God cares about you. He's not wanting you to stay there. He's not wanting you to stay in that guilty stage. He's not wanting you to stay mired by those convictions of sin. He's not wanting you to stay there. He's saying, I want you to know this so that you can respond and understand your need to repent, your need for righteousness outside of yourself, your need to escape judgment so that you might be saved. What a miraculous gift conviction is. You know, the world is pretty messed up. I think you'd probably agree, right? Who, who here would agree the world is, is pretty messed up? In general, you, okay? The rest think the world's great. That's okay. You'll be convicted about that later. What will change the world? What will make the biggest, most lasting impact on this messed up world? There's a lot of things we can do and we should do. There's a lot of things we're called to do as believers in Jesus Christ. He has brought us into his kingdom, and so now we live out his kingdom in a myriad of ways. But all, that, all the activity we might do, will that, will that bring change to the world? Well, you know, if, if we listen to politicians, um, some politicians in the last four years have said that, you know what, the environment is the biggest problem facing humanity today. Really? Some bad weather? I'm not downplaying that. But is, is the environment the biggest problem? Is, is, is the biggest problem corrupt politicians? Is the biggest problem social ills? Is the biggest problem poverty? Is the biggest problem injustice? Well, those are all big problems. But you know what's behind all those big problems? It's, it's a need to see our need for Christ. That the, the world needs to be convicted of sin. The world needs to be convicted of righteousness. The world needs to be convicted of judgment because otherwise the world will never change. But you know what? We have a hope. This is a good hope. This is a really good hope. This is a hope not just for our hearts, but this is a hope for those we encounter. This is a hope for our loved ones, our, our relatives. This is a hope for coworkers. This is a hope for the world around us that Jesus has given us the helper to bring three areas of conviction primarily concerning sin, he says, concerning righteousness, and then concerning judgment. And what a gift it is. 
in a world otherwise potentially overwhelmed with hopelessness, Jesus says there's hope. There's hope for conviction because if we see our need for Jesus and we can repent, then we can be born again. There's hope. There's not just a hope for out there, by the way. But there's a continuing ongoing hope that we have as well for us personally that we will still have the gift of conviction by the Spirit. There's hope for us in our own hearts that we'll be convicted of areas that we're blind to right now. There's hope for our children. There's hope for our loved ones and when they seem to be blind and cold that, that, they, that they can experience conviction because we have the helper. There's hope. I, I love the way that a, a guy named Leslie Newbegin puts it. He says, once more we see the Spirit is not the domesticated auxiliary of the church. He's powerful. He can do what none of us can do. He says, he's the powerful advocate who goes before the church to bring the world under conviction. And what a gift that is. Because our hope is that the world might be convicted so they might repent. Our hope is that, that Jesus would continually convict by the Spirit. And here's the other trust that we have as we go out, as we're commissioned. If we're disciples of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you really have a very simple commission. It's to be a disciple who, goes, who, who grows in him and goes and makes disciples. And, and that's our mission as a church, is, is to be disciples who are growing in him as disciples and making disciples. But you know what? That's impossible without conviction. But what a gift is possible because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We can trust that in our ministry of the word of truth. And by the way, I'm not the minister this morning. You all are. I know that sounds crazy to hear your pastor say that he's not a minister. <laughs> I'm not primarily. You're ministers, and I'm called to equip you for the work of ministry. And this work of ministry is possible now. Your work of ministry is possible now because we have a helper who convicts. I can't convict anybody of their sin. I can, I can teach, I can preach, I can appeal. I can, but I can't pierce the veil that darkens minds and hearts. But you know who can? The helper. The helper can pierce the dark veil of our minds and our hearts. He can bring about an awareness of sin, guilt before God, need for repentance, and what a gift that that is. And, and Peter, in Pentecost, you see the effects of this when Peter is preaching after the Holy Spirit comes. The very first thing that Peter does is he preaches the truth in Acts 2, 22. He says, men of Israel, he says, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, the man tested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did in your midst as you yourselves know. And then he goes on to expound these things. And then in verse 36, he says, let all the house of Israel know, therefore... For certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. They were, they were cut to the heart by this gift of conviction. Thank God that the Spirit convicts us sin so that, like Peter, when we declare the words of truth, they will penetrate people's hearts and minds because of the Spirit. The second way that he says the Holy Spirit convicts is not just about sin, but about righteousness. You might think, that's kind of odd. What does it mean the Holy Spirit convicts about righteousness? Um, how can we be convicted about righteousness? Well, in a couple ways, really all throughout the book of John, we've been seeing that, that people trusted, especially the religious leaders, they trusted their own works of righteousness. And they needed to be convicted that they could never be righteous enough. You know what you and I need to be convicted of? That we can never be righteous enough on our own. 
All the good things you do cannot give you merit before God. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. We need that conviction. And daily, I need that conviction, that reminder that my standing before God is not based on my righteousness. And I be convicted of righteousness, that my righteousness is filthy rags, and that I need the righteousness of another. I need the righteousness of Jesus Christ and convicted of that. And what a blessing we have that conviction. Not only that, he says, the third way the Holy Spirit convicts is concerning judgment. The Spirit would reveal that the one judged on the cross was, was, was truly the ruler of this world. All those who follow in sin like him. The cross proved not just to be condemnation of the devil, but condemnation for all those who followed in his way condemnation of all those who put their trust in themselves all those who put their trust in their own merit live for themselves want to do things their own way the cross was the ultimate condemnation of everyone who's living for themselves trusting in your own merit trusting in your own righteousness trusting in your own ability and we need to be convicted of that we need to be convicted that we deserve the judgment that jesus bore on our behalf the world needs to be convicted of that convicted that there will be a judgment convicted that that judgment is coming why? So that then we might respond, repent, believe, and escape judgment and not be judged. The conviction of the Spirit, it's not just hope out there. It's hope for in here. It's hope for those we love. And that's not all. He says to them, I still have many things I, I need to say to you, but I, I know you can't bear them right now. I have a lot of things that I need to say to you, but you can't handle them right now. You're too troubled. You're but you know what? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to do something else. He's not just going to convict. He's going to explain to the apostles. He's going to explain to the disciples. He's going to bring clarity to them the truth about Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he brings clarity of the truth about Christ. You see, he, he was going to enable them to understand all that Jesus has said to them in light of all of Scripture. Later on, when Jesus is walking the road to Emmaus and he's explaining to two of the disciples, and he says, he, he opens up all the scriptures and explains how all the scriptures really pointed to him. And he says, The Holy Spirit's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to enable you to do this. We need clarity to understand. And Jesus promised to give the disciples that clarity, the truth about him. This kind of funny story about a guy they call Saint Jerome. Now, the reality is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're all saints, but uh, Jerome, he was kind of considered this, this great translator. He studied Hebrew so that he could translate the Old Testament into Latin from the original instead of from the third century Greek that most people were using to translate the Bible. And, and this, this resulting Latin version, it became the, the real basis for hundreds of subsequent translations of the Old Testament. And it had this really famous mistake, though. He got something wrong. He wasn't clear on a word. He wasn't clear on a translation. And Moses had come down from Mount Sinai, and his head was, had a radiance. His, head was glo- his face was glowing. It had a radiance. And there was a word used for that. God, that it, the word is Quran. But, but in, in the Hebrew, there's no vowels. There's little dots and symbols and... And so he read that incorrectly as karen, and, and that word means horned. And, and from that error came hundreds of years of paintings and sculptures of Moses. I think I have a picture of it. Do you have, do you have a picture of that? 
of Moses with horns. They always wondered, what was it all about? Um, he didn't get the picture of Moses clear. And, and, and literally for hundreds of years, there was this stereotype of Moses coming down from the mountain with horns and then this offensive stereotype of Jews being people with horns. Um, in, in 2009, so you can put that picture away so we don't have that weird picture in front of us. In, in 2009... There is a HSBC bank. They had to launch a, a $10 million rebranding campaign. They had to re, redo, uh, undo some damage that had been done. They had a catchphrase that was, assume nothing was their catchphrase. And um, it was mistranslated as, do nothing. Um, that, that, that's not great for a bank. Um, <laughs> so when you're a bank and you're, you're not clear in your communications, things go wrong. And if you don't understand the truth clearly, it has consequences. Jesus promised that he would make the truth clear to the disciples. Why was that important? He, he, because all that we know about Jesus comes from what we have written down. And we can trust that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, made everything about Jesus clear. He's, he, he says he will guide you into all truth. Now this, this you he's speaking of is, is the disciples, the apostles. It's the context of his dialogue with him. Back in, in John 14, 26, he says, But the, hel- the Holy Spirit, the Helper, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. This you is who he's spoken to, is the apostles, disciples, because he hasn't spoken all these things to us, he's spoken to the disciples. And then in chapter 15, in verse 26, it was when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will be wear- bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness about me because you've been with me from the beginning. Only apostles had been with Jesus from the beginning. And yet he promised to them, both in those occasions and this as well, all in the same dialogue, that he is going to make the truth clear to them. Why? So that people might understand and know who Jesus is and be transformed. So that we can have this trustworthy word of truth to guide us, to lead us when we are troubled. When you're stuck. And then he says, I want to, he, he will guide you into all the truth. There's a little article there, the, the truth, and, and the truth primarily concerning who Jesus is. Because he says in verse 14, he'll glorify me, take what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine, declare it to you. He's declaring the truth of Jesus. And that's good news, because the truth of Jesus transforms us. The truth of Jesus makes us alive. The truth of Jesus sets us free. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. If we did not have the Holy Spirit to bring the truth and then to make the truth alive to us in our hearts and to have it penetrate our hearts and minds, we wouldn't know the truth. But he says, I'm giving you the Spirit to declare to you the truth about Jesus. The good news of Jesus Christ. Not all truth anywhere known at any time in any place in but the truth that we need to know, the truth about Jesus. And so the Spirit inspired them to write down these words about Jesus. He brought to the remembrance all that Jesus told them. The Spirit enabled them to understand all the Scriptures in light of Him. The Spirit enabled them to understand all the things which were to come, all those things that, that was about to happen to Jesus, that, would, that He was about to go and die. He was about to be buried. He was about to be resurrected and go ascend to be with the Father. And yet the Holy Spirit was about to declare the truth of all the things that were to come. This doesn't mean the whole future is revealed to them. Now, at times, the Holy Spirit did reveal parts of the future. We, we went through the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ a couple years ago. 
And, and we see the truth in really what's the revelation about? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the truth we need to know in the future? Oh, it's Jesus Christ. That he is the one who has conquered. He is the one who's ruling and reigning. He's the one who will reign forever. And the Spirit un- enabled them to understand these things. And he showed them what's most important for them to know so that they would not be troubled and so that you and I would not be troubled. So we wouldn't be stuck on this cycle of rinse and repeat, this, this spin cycle, stuck in second gear. So we wouldn't be stuck there so that we can have hope in the good news about Jesus Christ. You want to get unstuck? You, you want to know how to break free from your troubles? Go back to the truth of Jesus. Go back to our, our, our need for conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then the fact that Jesus, He perfectly fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of the law. He perfectly met the conviction of sin with His payment for our sins. He perfectly met our need for righteousness with His own righteousness. He perfectly met our need, our demand for judgment, our deserving of judgment, with being judged Himself for us. And the Holy Spirit does that. He mediates those truths to us. He makes His truths alive and He promises to make His truth alive to you and I through His Word today. And it says in verse 14, He'll glorify me. He'll take what is mine, declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said, He will take what is mine, declare it to you. So what's our hope? Our hope is the Holy Spirit. He will bring conviction. What good news that is concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And for those of us we love and for the whole world. Gives us hope for redemption, hope for mission. Now that the Holy Spirit's given us a word of truth about Christ so that we might not be troubled. So we can understand the truth. So we can know the truth and be set free by the truth, be unstuck by the truth. Set free from being troubled by the truth. Get out of those endless cycles that you're stuck in at times. There's hope by the Holy Spirit. So what do we do in response as a church? Let's be people of the Word. That's one of the, that's one of the goals for this year, actually, is that we be people of the Word, that we would be continually in God's Word, day by day, in God's Word. If, you're, if you've not been in God's Word, don't, don't experience condemnation. Be conviction of your need for Christ, and then go run to where you find Christ in His Word. Speak the word to each other. We, we need this word of truth to transform our hearts and minds. What, what's our response? Oh, let's pray that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction. Let's pray he bring conviction to us. Pray he bring conviction to the world. Pray he would enable us to be fruitful in the work of ministry. And then pray that he would help us to see the truth of Jesus Christ in Scripture. So we might be declaring the truth and changed by the truth. Amen? Um, uh, Philip, you go ahead and bring the band up and we will pray. And then let's respond in song. Jesus, thank you that you've not left us alone. Oh, thank you that we have hope when we're troubled. We have hope that the Holy Spirit brings conviction to this troubled world. We have hope that the Holy Spirit has brought conviction to our troubled hearts and minds. We have hope that the Holy Spirit has conveyed the truth of you in the word that we can trust your word 
when other people's words trouble us, when we're confused, we can have clarity because of the Holy Spirit who has given us your truth. Pray that you would give us hope, that you would give us confidence in you. And Holy Spirit, would you speak afresh to us through your